The Utah Utes take the Pac-12 championship for the second year in a row, but what does that mean beyond those two trophies they now have in Salt Lake City? And gosh, they were down 17-3. to How did they do that? Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lockdown Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you watch on YouTube. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions, which is why, if you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show. Big shout out to everybody who has done so already. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm sure many of you thought this would be Monday's show, but we had to find a time to do it with my guy JT Wistersill of Locked On Utes. It would have felt wrong to come on and talk about where the Utes are at right now without him. So JT, it is uh, it's a Wednesday here, but I imagine it's uh, still good vibes over there. Am I wrong? You are 100% correct. The vibes are immaculate, Spencer, right now. I just got to say, this this Utah football program, to go in there and get that win was incredible. I mean, they never should have been there. We, we talked about it last week with the way all the craziness that had to play out. And then to go in and you just – it's we've said it last year. It's funny because they did it last year too, right? It's hard to beat a good team twice. And they were able to do it. So really just incredible and shows you what a good – strong point this program is in to repeat as Pac-12 champions, which anytime you can repeat in any conference, I think we're numb to like the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Clemsons doing it, but it is so impressive. It is, and you make a good point about beating a good team twice two years in Mm -hmm. a row. That's a testament to what Coach Whittingham is, and since joining the Pac-12 alongside Colorado, the Utes have been the more successful addition for the league, and it hasn't been particularly close. We'll see if that changes in the next few Uh years now that Coach Prime is there in Boulder. But I want to ask you, JT, now that the Utes have, have climbed this mountaintop, and it was a glass ceiling that they were knocking on the door of but could not break through for a while, They've been to four of the last five Pac-12 championship games. They've won the last two. They'll get another crack at a Rose Bowl this year. I think winning that could do a lot for them in terms of their reputation. But what does this championship mean for Utah football going forward compared to last year's when it was the first? I think it's monumental because it shows that last year is not a fluke. It shows that you can still lose some of those players you lost, your two best linebackers and Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell. We know how good Devin Lloyd is. And you and yes, there was a lot of other returning players, but you can still retool, find those pieces to come back, get strong over the course of the season, and repeat. They're a program that's going to be in the Pac-12 championship game for the foreseeable future because of the recruits they're now bringing in because of last year's success in a lot of way. And they followed up on it too, showing that, hey, you guys can come in here. You can get drafted here too for some of these higher prospects that have had a lot of success coming in here. Guys, I think about like a Jalen Johnson. We know Clark Phillips is going to be a high round pick this year too. So Utah is a place that you can develop at and win at. It really is a total package in a lot of ways like that. And what makes him appealing to a guy like Clark Phillips, for example, is you look at him and I think Ohio State, he would have had to sit a couple years. He came in in Utah and was started right away and he's been sensational ever since. So this is a place where you can do both develop and win. And last year was not a fluke. That's the biggest thing. Utah is here to stay. They have the talent. And especially with the 
the future of college football is so uncertain, right? Is Utah going to go to the Big 12? Are they going to go to some other conference? Or are they just going to wait around and maybe we'll have two super conferences one day? I think Utah is positioning themselves by being back-to-back Pac-12 champs and being a Rose Bowl champion would really help this too in whatever the best conference in the future of college football is like. If you continue to win and do what Utah has done these last two years, I think Utah has shown and proven they belong in that. Especially, I believe, they are top 10 in terms of college football rankings appearances since the playoffs inception. So it's just a huge testament to the program that Kyle Winningham has built. And it shows you this Utah program, this position they're at right now is just unbelievably high. And one thing that I respect so much about Kyle Whittingham is he knows what he is and is just going to play to his strengths. And USC Mm -hmm. came in with their high-flying offense and I think the best player in the country in Caleb Williams, and they're throwing the ball around the field, and they're all about the portal, and they're all about flash, and they're all about big explosive plays on offense. And here comes Kyle Whittingham in Utah with Cam Rising, who's a good college quarterback, but... I think you see with some throws that he fails to make from time to time. That's not an NFL guy. I mean, he could maybe find his way onto a a practice squad, maybe Mm -hmm. be a backup or a third stringer, but could he even be Tyler Huntley? Like, I I, I don't know. He's not Mm -hmm. the flashiest guy in the world, but he's really effective. And Utah doesn't recruit at a top 15, 20 level consistently every year. They develop, like you said. But the way that they have continued to develop those players year in and year out and start to attract guys like Clark Phillips, who I'm a sucker for DB play. I I really am because it's really hard. That incompletion that he forced when Jordan Mm -hmm. Addison looked like he had a step or so on the slant and he just comes around and knock it away. Like those are the sorts of plays that very few guys in the country can make. And I think you make a great point about how, when you start to blend that development and still bring in those sorts of players with recruiting high-level talent like Clark Phillips, you get a program like Utah. And to me, JT, it'll be a little bit of a test because they haven't been a yes. huge transfer portal team. They're not a big NIL school. You know, they don't have an overabundance of you know wealthy boosters or anything like that, like a, a USC in Oregon, maybe yeah. even a Washington yeah. as well. But To me, it's hard to look at that, even though I see how someone could think, well, you know, are they going to be able to keep up going forward? It just seems like in the midst of an evolving college football landscape, Kyle Whittingham and Utah are just going to be a staple and a model of continued success. I 100% agree. You talked about just guys being able to come in here and feel like, hey, I can develop, I can play. And because you know, a lot of those guys aren't high groups. Um, Devin Lloyd was, a, I believe, a two star. And he might have, and when he came here, and it's just amazing the prospect that they kind of were able to develop. And credit in the world to his work ethic, too. It's a huge part of the reason he was able to become what he is today. But that just goes for all these guys as well. As Utah is a place where you can come, develop, and win, as we talked about there. And you got to feel great about where this Utah football program is at right now, Spencer. I really do have a lot of confidence in these guys and their abilities to continue to be a threat in the conference because of the job they've done retooling, uh, bringing in talent year in and year out. And I love that you brought up the transfer portal because it's Utah's at a very interesting road. I do think Cam Rising has gone after this year. Last time they went, the last two times they went to the transfer portal for uh, quarterbacks. It has not gone very well, but I will say they went to Cam a while ago, but Cam went and then sat a little bit. 
I think that's what you really need to do if you go to the portal. I think it more helps to have guys come in and sit a little bit. We saw a guy in Jaquindon Jackson who came here as a quarterback. He got to sit and develop for a couple of years as that, and then realized, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a running back, actually. And he was incredible in the Pac-12 championship game and against Colorado. So it, the quarterback situation for Utah is interesting. They'll probably will grab someone in the portal. We just don't know who that is yet. But in And transfer portal guys did play a big role for this team this year. Diabate was huge in the Pac-12 championship game. Gabe Reed was huge in the Pac-12 championship game. So it's a part of college football. And like Utah does with the recruits, they don't grab the biggest guys. They never get the biggest names. But a lot of times they grab these under-the-radar guys and they find ways to make them really effective. Yeah, they know exactly what they are. And they know the sort of players they're looking for. And every year, specifically in the last five or so, as they've had these amazing seasons. Of course, 2019, getting on the cusp of a college football playoff berth and then winning the two Pac-12 championships in 2022 and 2021, it always feels like their teams look and feel the same. And you maybe don't know who these guys are because they're not the biggest recruits, but they always fit exactly what Kyle Weddingham wants to do in his vision for, for a football program. And I think that's a testament to being a great coach. And he certainly is that. And he had to do a heck of a job on yep. Friday night in Las Vegas. Cause um, yeah, Utah trailed this game 17 to three. And if anyone had at that point in time, Utah winning by over three touchdowns on their bingo card, <laughs> congratulations. Cause I certainly did not have that. How exactly did that happen? Hmm? We'll ask JT. He was there. If you're going to make a new hire nowadays, it always feels like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100 percent certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, like Kyle Whittingham when looking for a head coaching job at Utah circa, I don't know, 18 years ago. That was certainly the best hire. They could have gotten to it faster. The Utes could have if they had checked out LinkedIn Jobs, which is the number one place to find access to qualified candidates and for free doing it faster at your job then add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your linkedin profile to spread the word that you are hiring simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills linkedin jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster and for free and they're of course qualified post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply So, JT, let's get to that game and just talk about what happened. I mean, it was crazy. I was watching it with my brother, and USC went up 17-3, to and it looked like how I thought it would play out. You know, I knew Utah would make a little bit of a run, and they weren't going to, you know, be kept out of the end zone forever. But this game did such a big 180. And, look, Caleb Williams' injury limiting what they can do offensively what was a part of it and goes back to something I talked about earlier this year on the show that I remember USC fans giving me some flack for, which was, Hey, this USC offense is really good, but it feels like they're relying on Caleb Williams to do the spectacular. You take away his ability to do the spectacular and suddenly the offense starts to stagnate a little bit, but this huge defense just made adjustments galore. I mean, they were getting walked up and down the field for the first few drives They hold USC to the big field goal. But then after that, USC was just three and out, six and out, three and out. I mean, they they were not even moving the football. What changed from what you saw? Okay, so the turning point in the game, there were two plays, really. I think one in particular that really changed it, but this one's important. You already talked about it a little bit, but Clark Phillips breaking up that pass on Jordan Addison. He did a great job sitting on the ball, closing on it, and breaking up. That was huge. Forced the Trojans to take a field goal there. 
But the really big one to me was Jalen Dixon had just caught a pass for a first down. Oregon stripped, um, excuse me, not Oregon, USC stripped him, uh, fumbled the ball. And from there, USC has it at the Utah 40, I believe. Um, two short runs and incomplete pass. All right, you're going to punt and pin him deep. They decided to go for it. I couldn't believe it. I really, I was shocked. They didn't get it. And from that moment, I felt like the game flipped. And you mentioned the third thing that was also big was Williams' injury because it did change this USD offense. But that, to me in particular, when they didn't complete that pass, it gave Utah a short field. It gave Utah all the offensive momentum back. Before that, Utah's last two drives, three and out and a turnover. And the first one, they drove down and then stalled with the field goal. So Utah didn't really have much momentum. And then they got it with the short field. And they were able to take advantage of it and march down the field. And if felt like one of those games too where there were moments like uh, Dalton Kincaid dropped the pass in the end zone and you're like he hasn't done that all year that's going to be a moment we look back on and this is one of those moments where it's like oh if he could have just caught in that ball and then Jalen Dixon caught a touchdown pass the very next play and it did and no one even remembers it it doesn't even matter and it's just those incredible moments and in plays this the moment you could feel Utah's momentum going into the halftime they were hyped up they were fired up ready and they came out ready to attack in the second half Money Parks had an unbelievable play Cam had actually thrown the ball behind him on that third and 19 he caught and then took off to the end zone some porous tackling very much helped the youths in this one too i should add but, but i think you make a great point too just talk about how limited this offense was what people forget about that first game was utah initially coverage wise was doing really good on usc's receivers but once you get over five seconds that's when the play, guys start to go off script caleb gets out of the pocket that's when everything got crazy and that's what because he couldn't run around that's what it was a lot for this game the utah dbs were able to stay with those receivers for those first initial couple seconds and also i got to give a ton of credit to morgan Utah's defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig. I thought both game plans were masterful, and I thought the adjustments they made in particular were really impressive, especially from a pass rush standpoint. They really mixed up their fronts, three-man fronts, four-man fronts, five-man fronts, overloading on one side or another. Seven guys on the line, three of them um, bail out and then go after that. So it was really just an incredible team performance. Cam Rising got the MVP. It really felt like if I had to give MVPs, honestly, I'd give them the, the coaching staff because I thought this game in particular was their strongest. It's also one where everyone felt like they deserved the game ball because this was a team win and it was a dominating performance in the second half. And they also, speaking of that defense, they held USC to one of 12 on third down, which is insane. Duh. <laughs> and then you got Lincoln Riley on the other side and you've got Caleb Williams on the other side and all the playmakers. Yeah. That that is a really impressive stat. My my game ball would go to Morgan Scally because yep. Kyle Weddingham is a defensive coach, but correct me if I'm wrong. Coach Scally is the play caller yes, out there. And yeah. early in that game, you, you had the I think I I tweeted out at the time at uh at, at Locked On Pack 12 that boy it feels like it's going to be 43-42 again, doesn't mm -hmm. it? You know, and everybody's just moving right up and down the field. I mean, those early drives, you know, their their yeah. success that is driven by being on script, and then there's success that looks like it's just going to be sustainable. It appeared like it was the latter. It yeah. looked like it was going to be whichever offense has the ball last, whoever commits the first and maybe only turnover uh, of the game. Utah does end up intercepting uh, Caleb Williams later in the game, which doesn't happen very often. But and to me, the biggest the first time this season. Yeah, and, and, and to me, JT, the the biggest thing that really shifted from the early drives for USC when they put up 17 points in the blink of an eye yep. and you thought, oh, well, here comes the Trojans offense. No one's stopping them. They have the playoff in their sights. Was what we talked about on last week's show, I think it was Thursday, going into the game, which was the number one thing I thought Utah needed to do to win the game. You got to be able to pressure Caleb Williams 
and make him uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And 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 once that started, the USC offense came to a grinding halt in a way that we hadn't seen since the Oregon State game on the road. And, and that, to me, was just a marvelous job by Morgan Scally, but also by the guys up front. The, yeah. the front four were able to get pressure. They didn't have to blitz all the time, but they did occasionally and showed Caleb Williams a lot of different looks. And they just had this prolific, explosive, and, and for the most part, efficient USC offense out of sync. When you look at the early portions of Utah's season, games against Florida, where they get absolutely embarrassed on the defensive side of the ball, they were the ones, they had 27 missed tackles in that game, which was basically USC's missed tackle number in this one, I believe, something like that. Um, It was the Utah defensive line that really got blown off the ball. There were a lot of things there. And one of the most underrated parts of college football to me is just the growth and maturation of players over the course of the season. I look at Connor O'Toole. Connor O'Toole caught the two-point conversion last year against San Diego State to send it into overtime against the Aztecs then. This year, they converted him to a defensive end. It'd been an up-and-down season. He got home with a sack in this game, did a good job setting the edge. So Mote Peppa was a guy Utah fans and just people weren't really talking about early on. He got a huge sack in this game and really came on later in the later months of this season. Diabate being used as a defensive end more. Nikki Sugataraga, Utah moved him as a defensive tackle. He's a D-end, and he did a really job, good job taking on a couple of those double teams there, too. So just the growth of these guys over the course of the seasons, they did such a good job pressuring and getting at Caleb, and Caleb's he couldn't get away with it because he was hurt. And I'm going to say this too. I know it's really popular right now for everyone in um, Utah to drag Caleb Williams. And look, when you write expletive, our school, you're, you're going to get that. But I will say this. That was one of the most gutsy performances I've ever seen in person. 100%. I think the entire game, the word I said more than anything else was, this is unbelievable. And mostly I was just talking about plays like Tom Hasman catching the ball, somehow breaking two tackles, getting in the end zone. Jaquindon Jackson ripping off a big run. Um, some of Caleb Williams' big runs early. I, I just couldn't believe all of it that was happening. I couldn't believe Caleb kept getting up and staying in that game. What I don't know how much the camera was showing, but you could see after some of those long throws, like how hard it was for him to get up. He was skipping to the line, and it was not because he was happy. He was just having that much trouble. He was skipping, hobbling, everything. And some Somehow on a couple of those throws, like the one he had to Addison late on the fourth down where Clark got him earlier. On that one, Addison literally crossed him out of his socks. I mean, he didn't hit the deck. That was an unbelievable route by Addison. Yep. And Caleb was able to somehow get away with pressure on one leg, basically, and throw it away. So I really came away with that game only thinking that that is the Heisman, Heisman winner with the way with the guts he had to hang in there, stay tough. But, man, he was hurt. And you see it after every single play, how much he was trying to get up and keep going and – that was, like I said, just one of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen. But going back to Utah, yeah, they did a really good job getting pressure on him. And it's the credit to these guys who, some of those being transfers, I should mention Gabe Reed as well, who had another really good game against USC. Mahmoud Diabate did some nice things too. A lot of credit to Coach Scally for, and these players themselves for how they've developed in this system and this team. And it was a masterful job really throwing Caleb off his game, even though a large part of that was him just not being able to do the things he can normally do, running around in the pocket buying time. Yeah, I, I was impressed watching Caleb Williams just yeah. just fight. I, I mean, I, I love watching guys like that, no matter what position it is, but especially when it's the quarterback, especially when it's the leader, especially when it's your Heisman caliber player who you know wanted to get that team into the playoff, was not concerned about himself. He was, you know, Miller Moss started warming up, and Caleb Williams played that that entire game. I mean, he left it all out there. Incredible. And, you know, I, I love watching that. So, and the Pac-12 this year has been just so great to watch. It's been a, it's been a thrill to cover here on the show and I can't wait for bowl season too, but yes. It's it's been so great in large part because of 
the improved quarterback play. And a lot of these guys are transfers, not all of them, right, like DTR, but a lot of them have been. And you can just tell that they are trying to set a tone with their teams and have been all season. DTR, Caleb Williams. We saw Bo Nix hobble around on on one leg. I think Cam yeah. Ward played his butt off all season long. Jaden mm-hmm. Delora down at Arizona. Like, yeah. they're just, there have been so many great storylines in that particular front. And bowl season is right around the corner. If you want to check out the lines for the Pac-12, you got to check out our friends at Bet Online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today, or you can use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. There's a bummer in this game, JT, as as someone who did not have a specific dog in the fight. My team was not in the Pac-12 championship game. We don't need to talk about that. But the bummer in this game is a long-term picture, and you, you right. hinted at it just oh. ever so slightly. Caleb Williams, confident guy, big-time player, and he puts those sorts of messages on his nails before a game like, All right, whatever you got to do, my guy. I didn't feel that going into this season at any point in time, Utah and USC were, you know, like big time rivals. Other than your normal, USC is the team that that people want to beat. But there was never anything personal about it. And when I saw this stuff playing out, if you want to criticize Caleb Williams, eh, go for it. Here's what I say as a college football fan. I wish USC and Utah would play every year from now until the end of time because I know that there's beef there. And you know that USC fans are not loving Utah because of how that game in Salt Lake City played out. (laughs) And Utah fans now felt like they kind of gave it back to them in a sense because of the message that came here. Like this was laying the foundation. For this to occur in a Pac-12 championship game, Utah wins both meetings in 2022 it's a real bummer that USC is leaving the conference because this yes. felt like it was starting to lay the groundwork for a really great rivalry, and we're only going to get one more iteration of it. Is, is that something you, you agree with, that it, that sort of kind of heated competitive nature between the fan bases was really starting to, to get riled up? It's 100% true, and I absolutely love it. I mean, how can you not? And also, let's talk. Let's set something straight about what Caleb Williams did. He only wrote on his fingernails what everyone on USC and then Utah with the opposite was thinking. Those two schools, they don't like each other. They're at the top. They're polar opposite programs the way that that they're built to. So I 100% agree with you that this is what's best for college football is if these guys continue to play each other and build this rivalry. Now, we are very lucky that we do get it next year back because Caleb Williams will be back and Kyle Whittingham and a lot of those players on the defensive side of the ball are coming back. So we still get a part two to it. But as you mentioned, this is supposed to be a memory. I wanted part 17. I know, I agree, yeah. I wanted uh, I wanted countless mm-hmm. iterations of I it, agree. but I had that thought when I first saw that. I thought it was like an online joke yeah. that he had painted that on his nails, and I was like, oh, just, yeah, don't don't fall for that, Spencer, because if you you know talk We're about that sort that. of thing, it turns out not to be true. You're gonna look really foolish. And then I was like, wait, that like actually 
happen and then Cam Rising and uh, I think it was Jaquindon Jackson got asked about it in the post game presser and yes, yes. like I I just love that Cam story didn't care. I mean, Cam yeah. didn't care. Cam, it must be season must be over. Cam was just like, oh, I'm just going to say whatever I really want here like that. You should see yeah. some of the faces in the press conference room that were uh, not at all pleased on the Utah side of when he was that he yeah. his completely, but it was uh, it was fun. Yeah, but anyway, so that that was a little bit of mm-hmm. a bummer. I am glad we get one more game. At least yep. maybe they meet again in yeah. the Pac-12 championship game in that same stadium next year. That would be that'd be really fun. All right, let's close with this, JT. Mm-hmm. The Utes get a chance to go back to the Rose Bowl. They get to play Penn State, which is a good football team. I don't think a great football team. Utes Open mm-hmm. is about a two and a half point favorite or so, according to our friends at, at Bet Online, which I, I think is about right. But just like a real a real quick snippet, because we'll talk more about yeah. it as we get closer to the game, of course. But hard to not feel good about Utah right now. But I think it sets up to be a fantastic and physical football game. James Franklin is an unbelievable head coach. Sean Clifford Great is a coach. Very, very experienced quarterback, too. He's he's up and down, but that's the thing about him, too. I know I have no doubt that he's going to be fired up and ready to go with this opportunity. Um, I didn't I, I think seeing Ohio State again would have been kind of interesting because I don't think that I mean Jackson Smith and Jigba already had to opt out because he's he's already injured and hurt. Um CJ, there's no way CJ Stroud would have played in the Rose Bowl if Ohio State had been in that position. So I'm much happier to get a Penn State who's going to travel to this game too. It was awesome having it be a U- extra Utah home game basically. It felt like the whole state of Utah was basically at the Rose Bowl last year. But this is gonna be you talk we talked about that animosity with USC fans a little bit like that. This is the fun trash talking that's gonna go back and forth. The fans are gonna be drawing each other all game long. It's going to be a loud stadium in different moments for different reasons. I, I can't wait for this one. I think it's an awesome opportunity for the Utes. And just based on the way that Utah's season has ended and how they've hung tough with these with USC twice now, one of the 10 best teams in the country for sure, and Utah's proven that they are as well, in my opinion. And Penn State is, I mean, they're, they might very well might be too. I mean, I know they're in the same position where they have only a couple of those losses, and they're only two, Michigan and Ohio State. And we know how good those two programs are, of course. So I think this is going to be an incredible showdown. I can't wait for it. I think it's a monumental game for – we talked about how good of a position it feels like Utah's program is in. Penn State is the same way, though. They're they're definitely going to be in whatever the future of college football is. Their brand is awesome, but it even helps it even more if you get a Rose Bowl in there. I think that could really mean something to this fan base, and we know it would mean everything to Utah. It's what these these players came back. They might say different things now. I, I know for a fact that they wanted to go to the college football playoff. They wanted the chance to compete at a national championship, but at the very least, they want another shot at the Rose Bowl, and that's what they have now. They're fired up. They're ready to go about it. You can see it on their faces in the celebration. They were so happy to be conference champs, and I know they're so ready to go at it at Pasadena again. And, Spencer, it's going to be quite the game and a lot of fun breaking it down the next few weeks. A jubilant JT Wistersill, the host of Locked On Utes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. JT, my man, it is always great to have you here on the show. Congrats on the second straight championship for the Utes, and I'm sure you will continue to enjoy it right up until that Rose Bowl kicks off, in which case it'll be, okay, that game is irrelevant. We need to win this one right here, right now. But good to talk to you as always, my guy. Always great, Spencer. Jolly jubilant, whatever you want to say. I was definitely fired up. <laughs> <laughs> Joyful. There's another J yes, word there for you. Go, yeah. All right, everybody. We'll stop now. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.